Well, good morning and welcome to Epic. My name is Tim Jones. I'm one of the pastors on staff and we are so glad that you are here with us today. As Carlos mentioned, before I jump into the message, guys, if you are a guy, I've got a challenge for you. So we've got that men's event this week. Uh, there is actually going to be bull riding, kid you not, all right? So there's gonna be a mechanical bull there and Trent is saying that he can stay on there the longest, all right? So I need you to come on out to that event to show him up, all right? So I'm gonna be out there, I'll be riding that thing as well. So it begins at 4.30, barbecue at 6 o'clock, a great speaker at 7, actually two speakers, one guy, he's the CEO of FedEx uh, Ground Shipping, one of the divisions or something like that. Um, and so it's going to be an amazing time together. So if you've not signed up for that event, come on out. It's not too late. See the guys in the back to get the information. Well, today we are in the fourth part of our message series called My Story. And if you haven't been here the last three weeks, let me catch you up to speed. So our lives are made up of decisions that tell a story. So everyone has a story to tell. And the whole premise of this entire series has been that the decisions that we make today will determine the stories that we tell tomorrow. So I need your help. Let's say that together because this is one of the biggest things that we've been trying to learn during this message series. So on the count of three, I need you to help me read that off the screen together. And I know you guys are the 11 o'clock service, so let's outdo the nine o'clock service. They were still sleeping. So one, two, three. The decisions that we make today will determine the stories that we tell tomorrow. Man, way to go. I'll brag on you guys next week. So anyways, um, during this message series, we've been learning just how powerful our decisions can be. And the reality is that five years from now, when we look back upon this season of our lives, we will all say, let me tell you about this season, this past season that I've just experienced. And for many of you during this message series, you've been making some great decisions to be able to tell the story that you want to tell in the next five years. And so decisions such as in the first week, uh, a decision to go. And you took a step to trust God with something that God has been wanting you to take a step of trust in. In the second week, we uh, looked at the decision or many of you made the decision to start reading God's word as part of your daily routine to be able to allow God to change your lives over time and to fill in the gaps that we all have in what we want to become. And then last week, uh, many of you made the decision to stop doing something that's hindering your walk or hindering uh, the person that you want to become. And so many of you decided to stop doing that thing. And so I want to just say, way to go on making three decisions over the last three weeks and forming really the stories that you're going to be able to tell in this next season. So way to go on doing that. Now, next week, we're going to conclude the series and we're going to do something totally different. Uh, there won't be a decision involved. Today's our last decision in that, but I'm not going to give it away. All right. So next week, we are going to be concluding our message series. So today we are in our final fourth decision of the series. And here's the decision that we all come up against in life, all right? So we all experience this hardship in life. There are moments in our stories where we know that we need to end something or that we decide that it would be better if we end a chapter in that season of our life. But yet, sometimes in those moments, we shouldn't end something or we shouldn't allow a chapter to close in our stories. Sometimes the best decision in those moments is actually to stay, to stay the course. 
And so in those moments, what kind of confuses it or makes it more complicated is that in those moments, there's always an option. There's always an option to walk away and do something else. And so we all have choices in our daily lives. For some of you, it's the choice to, will you stay in school and continue to do that? For some of you, will you stay in a relationship that you're in? Or for some of you, will you stay in a marriage that you're in? Or for a lot of us, it might be to stick with the decision that we have made in this season. So let me tell you about one of the hardest decisions that I've had to make in my life um, to see what will actually happen instead of taking the easy way out and to stay the course uh, with this decision. So uh, the decision was in becoming a pastor. So a long time ago, um, you know, God kind of kept surfacing this thing in me to become a pastor. And at times I was like totally against it. And other times I was for it. And so I had the relationship with God where often he would come along and say, Tim, I want you to do this. And my first initial response was, no, you've got the wrong guy. And then he would come back to me and challenge me again in that area. I would say, okay, God, I'll do it. So that's the type of relationship that I had. He'd always say, here's the next thing. Come on. Here's the next thing. Come on. And that's how he would lead me. And that's how I needed to be led. Well, right before my senior year of high school, I felt God was putting on my heart to become a pastor. And so I finally said, all right, God, I'll do it. Well, actually, I didn't say that. Here's what I said. I said, all right, God, I will be a youth pastor because I don't want to speak on stage ever, okay? You see how that worked out. Um, So that was my deal, but that wasn't God's deal, And so uh, during my course of my senior year, I thought, you know what? I've been going to public school all my life. It'd probably be good to go to Bible college and be trained and uh, learn how to become a pastor. So about two months prior to me going to that college, um, I wasn't getting this large scholarship that I was supposed to be getting. And so I call up the school and as I'm talking to the person, they're like, I'm so sorry. You know, I've got to inform you this, but we've stopped giving that scholarship. Now, I was devastated. I was devastated because that meant that I was not going and I was two months out. I was devastated because my entire senior year, I had been telling all my friends and everyone, here's where I'm going. I'm kind of head of the game, you know? And then I was disappointed with God because I thought, God, all right, this is your deal. Why isn't this working out for me to go? And to make matters worse, I had just moved from Florida to Michigan where my dad grew up and we'd visit every single summer and the entire town was like related to me, okay? So what that meant was dating was like out of the question. Unless I wanted to date my third cousin, which is legal in West Virginia, but you know, I was like, "Uh, that's not good. So what made it even worse was the only place I could get into was the local community college at the time. And then I had this job I didn't really care for. I didn't have any friends. And I started living in the basement of my parents' house. I was one of those guys for an entire year, okay? So after the dust settles, um, you know, I start going to school and I'm starting to attend this church and they need some help with student ministry. I'm like, okay, I'll do that. You know, I can jump in there. Let's just say it didn't go very well, okay? So I would plan events and only one person would show up and it was me, all right? So, yeah, not a good thing if you wanna be involved in ministry. You can't get people to an event. And so I was kind of reconsidering this whole thing, and I thought, you know what? Maybe ministry's not for me, and I'll just go ahead and finish my degree in teaching and be a coach, be a teacher, you know, and, and that's what I'll do in life. And in that moment, one of my cousins came to me and said, hey, let me tell you about this other Christian university. 
And he gave me an application, and I started to look into it, but I was like, no way, it's too expensive. There's no way that I'll ever be able to go. And I just put the application on my desk. And then mama started talking to me, okay? Now, I love my mama. She was great, all right? She didn't say a word until that application, which she knew when it was due just about a week prior to that. And so in her lovely mama tone, she said, "Uh, Tim, you know, have you filled out that application? And I was ready because I was waiting for her to say something. And so I had been building this case of why I was not going to be able to go, and I just wanted to end the conversation right there, okay? But you know, uh, mama always gets the last word in at the end of a conversation like that. And all she had to say was in that certain tone, she looked at me in the eyes, and all she had to say was, Tim, you just need to trust God. Ah, you know, those moments when mama is right and you don't want to admit it, And so I went down to the basement and I started filling out that application because I knew she was right. I needed to trust God. And so that one decision led to many different decisions that I needed to make in order to stay the course in becoming a pastor. Now, God, he has a great sense of humor because that entire journey took me 14 years to become, he had me kind of on that fast track of uh, becoming a pastor, okay? So a lot of twists, a lot of turns, uh, but what I can say today is looking back, God was in so many different moments and he put so many people in my life to help me to stay the course. And looking back now, I can make sense of all of those things because he was there. He was working behind the scenes. Now, for some of you today, you might be in that situation where you don't know what to do. You don't know whether to stay the course or to take the easy way out. And in those moments, we are so tempted to take the easy way out. And today, what we're going to wrestle with is when is it time to stay the course? And for some of you, you may not be there in this moment, but I can promise you this, you will be one day. And so today, we are going to check out what it means to make a decision to stay the course and to allow God to work and to trust him. And so today I want to check out this very awesome story found in the Old Testament. And it is a true story that happened in history. And we're going to be turning today in your Bibles, or if you have a smartphone device, to Ruth chapter 1, verse 6. So if you have a Bible, if you have a smartphone device, go ahead and turn there. And as you are turning there, I'm going to give us some background information. If you don't have a Bible, always feel free to grab one of the Bibles in the back as our gift to you, or you can look at your neighbor as long as they're not your third cousin, okay? So, uh, but go ahead and turn to Ruth chapter one, verse six. It's in the Old Testament. It's the eighth book into the Old Testament. And so go ahead and find it, and I'll give you a moment to get there. All right, as you're finding it, let me set up the book of Ruth. So the book of Ruth takes place in uh, the history of Israel at the time known as the Judges. And that took place between 1375 BC and 1050 BC in Israel's time. Now at this time, God's very own people were doing what they thought was right in their own eyes. They were ignoring God. They were turning their backs upon him. They just continued to just do their own deal, not listen to God and continue to do some very discouraging things in those moments. So although God's uh, people were not faithful, God remained faithful to them. And he continued to work behind the scenes. Now, the book of Ruth focuses on one family. 
and it opens up with some more bad news in these discouraging times. So first, there is a famine in the land of Israel, and it's so bad that this family uproots and goes to another country. Now, that is, was very, you know, not heard of back then, because if you left your hometown, like, that's where you grew up, and it was generations and generations of your family there. You didn't do that. Now, we don't know if they made the right decision or if they need to stay. It doesn't say that. But what we do know is that they moved to a country that's right next to it called Moab, and the Moabites and the Israelites did not get along. They worshiped different gods, and they were at uh, ends with each other. So what happens is once they move to Moab, the father, he dies. And then the two sons die. So the only family members who are left is his wife, whose name is Naomi, and her two daughters-in-laws. And so we're going to focus on the decisions that they made during this turbulent time when they couldn't see in the future and see how their decisions would later on impact their stories. So this story is four chapters long. I'm not gonna read all four chapters, so don't worry about that. If this is your first time to church, don't worry. Uh, I'm gonna touch upon a few of the sections, but I wanna encourage you to go back and read the entire book because it is an amazing story of God's faithfulness and his love for us. So starting in Ruth chapter one, verse six, then Naomi heard while in Moab that the Lord God had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah or to Bethlehem. And, but on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-laws, go back to your mother's homes and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye and they all broke down and wept. So let's pause here for a moment and let me tell you what's going on here. In that culture, if you were a lady and your husband died, then it was the custom of that day for you to marry his younger brother, all right? To continue to show honor to that older brother, uh, to also continue to pass along all the family possessions and the family name. Now, the problem here is that Naomi, she didn't have any more sons for her daughters-in-laws. And so she wasn't going to even have any more kids because she was so old and it was probably not impossible for her to do that. And if she did have kids, then they would be just as old as she was by the time they could get married. So big issue here. And especially for a widow because widows were taken care of by their sons and there were no sons to take care of any of them. And so Naomi at this point decides to go back to Bethlehem and where she came from and maybe hope that somebody would uh, help her out in that situation. But she knew if her daughters returned that most likely they would never remarry because they were foreigners. And remember, they were uncertain of like this relationship between Israelites and Moabites. And so going back, you know, would they have a future, you know? And back then marriage was so important for women. Uh, One of the reasons was it provided security. And so women were treated as second-class citizens or third-class citizens. And you just never knew what would happen in that, during those times. And so marriage provided security in the midst of their fears. And then also at this time that was happening, um, we don't know that 
they were suffering from the stresses of how do we make it each day? Because widows were considered like beggars in that society. And so they didn't know where food was going to come from. So they're facing fears, they're facing stresses, they're facing you know, worries of what's going to happen to them. So let's see how these daughter-in-laws respond. Verse 14, and again, they wept together and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, and this is an amazing statement or you know, passage here. She says this, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. And may the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. And when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. So you've got one daughter-in-law who says like, adios amigo, I'm done, you know which was perfectly fine. We shouldn't look down upon her at all. It was perfectly acceptable. So no harm, no foul or anything like that. But then you've got Ruth who does something different. She decides to stay. She decides to stay even though it would have been easier for her to go. So let's kind of get the perspective here. Uh, Ladies, if you could help me out by a raise of hands, how many of you love your mother-in-law? Okay, yeah, that was a little slow on the draw, okay? And the ones that are raising your hands, it's because you're sitting next to your mother-in-law, so no fair there, all right? So really, imagine this, you know? You've got your mother-in-law that you are going to take care of her for the rest of her life. And eventually, you're going to suffer the same things that she's suffering, the same stresses, the same worries, the same fears, because one day, she's gonna pass away. And you're going to probably be about as old as she is or approaching that. And so now who's going to take care of you in that situation? And the only reason that Ruth probably stuck around is because she must have seen such a love in Naomi that she could not explain. A love that came from God. A love that she saw in Naomi's actions and her words and in her life. And so we know that because of what she said. I mean, listen how powerful this is, that your God will be my God. So she's so impressed with Naomi, she's saying, I trust God, I believe in him, and I'm gonna stay even though it would be easier to leave. And I'll trust him, even though I don't know what's going to happen. Now, those are amazing words. I'll trust him. Because how many of us, when we face life pressures and things start to cave in on us, turn to something else when we start to fear what's going to happen to us and we get off course in our stories? Or how many of us, when the stresses come upon us, decide to take an alternative course? Or how many of us, when those worries come upon us, we decide we're not going to stay the course and instead we're going to take the easy way out? but not Ruth. Instead, Ruth saw a love from Naomi, a love that showed her that she needed to stay and do the right thing. I don't know if you need to be reminded of that today, but there is a God who loves you and is working behind the scenes. And we're gonna see exactly what he does in this story. So with that decision made, 
Ruth goes back to Naomi to Bethlehem, okay? And it costs her, all right? So in that culture, if you came back in Ruth's situation, you were considered a little bit lower uh, than a slave in that culture because you were a widow, you were a foreigner, everybody was looking down upon you, and now your life was about begging in that culture because you were a widow and a foreigner. And so kind of what we talked about in the announcements, this gleaning thing, um, well, this is where this comes from. So if you were poor, if you were, you know, a beggar, uh, then it was the custom of the day to go out into the fields and they would allow you to work behind the harvesters and gather up anything that accidentally got dropped or didn't get picked up. But those guys were good, okay? They were awesome at their job. And so what that meant for Ruth is some days she would eat and some days she wouldn't. And see, when you make the decision to stay the course, it'll cost us. And sometimes there's twists and sometimes there's turns in our stories. When I made the decision to stay the course and becoming a pastor, yes, I did end up going to that Christian college or that Christian university. And then I went on to seminary to become a pastor. And I thought, all right, I'm in seminary. Next step, becoming a pastor. But God had a different plan. And he said, you know what? Mm time to go into the business world for five years. And that was not on my agenda. That wasn't on my radar, all right? I got my undergrad in teaching. I got my master's in becoming a pastor, all right? I had no intentions of going into the business world, but that is what God had for me. And here's what I refer to as those five years I experienced. I refer to them as my desert experience. I hit such a low in those five years. I had an organization that almost like uh, failed three times in five years. So not a great company to work for. And then when we got bought out, the CEO comes in and he just treated people horribly, all right? And he was axing people. And it was like, almost if you, you know, gave the guy a wrong look, I mean, you were gone. It was bad. It was one of the worst situations I've been in. And what made it even worse was I was involved at a church that I loved to attend and people were like, man, you're doing an awesome job. We love working with you. But yet I was in the business world. So I was so tempted at that point to quit. But yet there was this voice, it was God who was saying, don't quit. I'm like, really? Don't quit? Now, I don't know about you, but maybe you're thinking of quitting something. Maybe you're thinking that, you know what? It'd just be easier for me to go. But is there something that God wants to do in you? Is there something that he wants to change in your story to refine you in the process? So that's what we're gonna unfold in the rest of this story here. So let's jump back in. And so one day, Ruth goes out to the fields. So she's in Bethlehem. She's with her mother-in-law, Naomi. And could you imagine, again, being her? So she is a foreigner. She is a widow. She probably stood out like a sore thumb. You know, she's wearing clothes that are a little bit different. She has a different accent. Um, She not only has to provide for herself, but now she's got to provide for her mother-in-law as well. And she's heard rumors that, man, some of these hired men don't treat women very well and they take advantage of them. And so she's out there. She selects this field that just seems kind of random, but I'll jump in there. I'll start seeing if I can get anything. And all of a sudden as she's working and she's just not making eye contact with anyone, she all of a sudden sees this commotion going on in a distance. Everyone stops working and this, what seems to be like this important person is there and it turns out it's the owner. And so she's observing the owner talking to the hired men and the hired men are pointing at her and everybody's starting to look in her direction. And then the owner of the field calls her over and says, come on over here, Ruth, I need to speak with you. 
Could you imagine what's going through her mind, how many fears that she had in that moment, how many stressors that she had? She doesn't know if she's gonna get reamed out or asked to not be there anymore. And so this is what happens. And remember, God is always faithful and he's always working behind the scenes. So skipping down to chapter two, verse eight, Boaz, the owner of the field, went over and said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, and I'm sure her heart is pounding. And he says this, stay right here with us when you gather grain. Don't go to any other fields. Stay right behind the young women working in my fields, almost as if she's like with them and see which part of the field they are harvesting and then follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to the water they have drawn from the well. I mean, what is this? You know, I'm sure that blew her mind. Here are all of her worries and stressors and, you know, fears. And they are answered with this stranger who calls her over and says these things to her, everything that was on her mind and going through her mind that morning. Why? Well, here's why. Verse 10, Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness? She asked. I am only a foreigner. Yes, I know, Boaz replied. But I also know about everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. And then he does something amazing. He prays for her and listen to this prayer. Verse 12, may the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, in essence, who you have trusted, reward you fully for what you have done. I mean, what an amazing act of kindness. And Boaz, he's a smart guy. I mean, he, it's a small town, Bethlehem is, you know? Word got around. Everyone knew that, um, you know, Ruth didn't have any obligation to stay with Naomi and to take care of her. The law didn't require that of her, but he's impressed. He's impressed with the decision that she made to stay, how she made the right decision, even though she didn't have to. And what's even more amazing is this. He understands that and he rewards her. He rewards her with kindness, protection, and pretty much a job throughout the rest of the harvest. And then he prays for her. And this is a really cool prayer. What he's saying here is, you know what? I can't reward you enough for making the right decision, but I know God can. And so may God bless you for doing what you did. She trusted and she took refuge in God. And God always provides in the right time for those who trust him. So here's the rest of the story, all right? This is how it unfolds. I'm gonna summarize it here, okay? So Buzz tells his men, guys, you know what? Uh, you guys are awesome harvesters. But when Ruth is behind you, let a little bit more out, okay? That is totally fine because we're gonna take care of Ruth and we're gonna take care of her mother-in-law, Naomi, all right? So uh, Ruth gets all this food. She brings it home and Naomi's like, what happened? I mean, you've got enough food for us for an entire week for both of us. And so she tells him or tells her the story and uh, Naomi's like, you've got to keep going back to that field. 
And then it comes out, or the news comes out, that Boaz is actually a distant relative of Naomi's. Now he had, you know, under law, he didn't have to like marry Ruth at all because he was so far removed. He was like the third or fourth cousin or something like that. So didn't have to do that back then. But he finds out there's a closer relative. And again, that relative didn't have to do that as well. But Boaz, being the guy that he is, he says, something needs to happen here. Somebody needs to show these women, because they've done the right thing, love and faithfulness. And so he calls the elders of the town in Bethlehem together, and he calls this other relative who could claim Ruth as his wife. And this is at the end of the conversation that he has with him. So in chapter four, verse five, then Boaz told him, of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. That way she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. And at this point, we don't know this guy's name, but he's like, no way, Jose, I'm not doing that. And the reason he uh, declined the offer there or to take the offer is because he had his own wealth. And so he would have had to purchase the field and then if he would have had to get it back into shape and use his wealth to do that. And then if he were to have a son, well, that son would technically be of that family. So he would lose that part of the fields to that family again. And so he would lose out on a lot of money. And because in his heart, it was about money. It wasn't about doing the right thing. And I'm sure that's why his name's not mentioned. Did you ever think about that? Because he didn't trust God but we know Boaz did. Watch what Boaz does. This is awesome, all right? So Boaz is so impressed with Ruth that he decides to help her out. And so the story concludes and listen to Boaz and Ruth and their amazing faithfulness to each other, their amazing kindness. Listen to this, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth into his home and she became his wife. And when he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant and she gave birth to a son. Then the women of the town or of Bethlehem said to Naomi, praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. So here's the really cool thing, all right? So not only was Ruth and Naomi's uh, needs taken care of by a love from Boaz and his faithfulness. But this son that Ruth and Boaz have together eventually grows up and becomes the grandfather of King David, the most famous king in Israel. And it's through the family line of King David that eventually, eventually, the Savior the savior of the world, Jesus, is born in the same town of Bethlehem. So here's this woman who was a foreigner, who was an outsider, who decided to stay even though she didn't have to. And through her story and through her descendant stories, God would show his ultimate kindness for all of mankind through sending his son, all because Ruth decided to stay when it was right rather than take the easy way out and go. And so when I look at that, 
Don't miss the power of this, okay? Ruth did not stay because she was expecting God to bless her. She decided to stay because it was the right thing to do. And she never knew what hung in the balance in that decision to stay with Naomi. And just like Ruth, we don't understand what hangs in the balance when we make the decision to stay rather than taking the easier way to go. So when we come upon these crossroads in life, when we're so tempted to take the easy way out and not trust God, look what will happen when we trust him. Now we may never know what happens, but our stories will be impacted and we will impact other people's stories when we stay and we trust God because God is always, he's always working behind the scenes on our behalf. And sometimes we don't feel like it's the right moment, but often God knows exactly when he needs to show up in our lives. So the question for all of us today is this, what is it that God wants you to wait on? Is there something that you are so tempted to take the easy way out rather than waiting on him? I mean, it could be a number of things. For some of you, maybe you're going to school and you're so tempted to quit, but you need to stay with it. You need to work two, three jobs. Instead of graduating in four years, you graduate in seven and a half years because you know God wants you to stay. For others of you, it might be your marriage. You are ready to check out, but God wants you to let him fight with you for that marriage. And you do the hard work of going to marriage counseling and keep going and going and going, or you surround yourself with other people to, who are for you and for your marriage and who say, hey, you can open up to and they can help you. That could be your story instead. And years back when you look, yes, it was tough, but maybe in that moment you can look back and say, it was worth it. I'm glad I stuck in it. I'm glad I stuck in it for me. I'm glad I stuck in it for my kids and my grandkids later on down the road. For some of you, maybe you're going through a tough season right now and you can't explain what has happened to you, but something bad has happened to you and you are ready to say, God, if this is who you are, count me out. But instead, your story, if you decide today, you could easily say, God, you know what? I don't understand what's going on, but I'm going to trust you in this moment. Instead, I'm going to just start to hold your hand and I'm going to allow you to speak to me and eventually he will heal you and eventually be your strength in the midst of that storm. Or for some of you, maybe you've been called to a certain job. Uh, maybe you're in a certain position. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom. Or maybe your dad who's just kind of maybe checking out from life, from your family, and you're not thinking about staying the course. But yet, realize that no matter what we are a part of, there will always be times that we get overwhelmed. And so do you just need to stay the course because we will always face tough times? And God wants you to stay there and embrace this season so that years down the road, you can look back at this season and say, it's because of God that he helped me through that. And I know now what he wanted to do in me. And so in a moment here, I want us to decide what is it that God wants us to stay in. And just like we've been doing in this, the last three weeks, we've been ending the service a little bit differently. In a moment, we're going to play a music video and there's a card on your seat. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to grab that card. And on the card, it says, I decided to stay. So what is it that God wants you to stay in? And you put that down on that piece of paper. And then during the song, I want you just to pray to yourself, to God, and just say, God, I have decided to stay. Thank you for helping me to make this decision Thank you that you are working 
on my behalf behind the scenes to help me in this situation, and I'm going to trust you. And so during that time, I want you to make that decision for God and in essence say, I trust you. And so at the end of this song, we are going to conclude it and I'm gonna come up here and I'm gonna pray for us. Um, But then we're also going to kind of go in another direction and so an easy direction. So as you've noticed, we've like been growing and growing a lot. And so we need your help as a church for a couple minutes right after the service. So it's gonna be real easy. And uh, we just would like to gather some information um, and not like private information or anything like that. We just want you to take a quick survey for us that will help us out in this season. So I'll explain more about that. But during this time, I want you to focus on what is it that God wants you to stay the course in. So go ahead and grab one of those pieces of paper and we will begin the video. So let me pray for us. So Father, thank you so much for the last four weeks, God, and what you want to do in our stories. God, thank you so much for these decisions that will impact this next season of our lives, that you are working behind the scenes to have us right here in this moment, God, to make these types of decisions so that when we look back five years from now, we can say, God, thank you so much for challenging me. And thank you so much that I made those decisions, God, so that my story is what you want it to be and that we want it to be. And so God, thank you so much for caring about us. And thank you so much for showing us through history, through other people's lives, God, exactly who you are and how much you love us and how faithful you are. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, Epic. I hope that you guys are having a good day. I am so excited that so many of you braved the cold. I don't know if you were like me, but I was under my covers thinking... I just don't know. I just don't know if I'm going to get up today. It was very cold, but we're so glad that you're here today. Thanks so much for joining us. My name's Carla. I'm going to tell you what's going on here at Epic. If you're new with us, we would love the opportunity to meet with you. We're so glad that you're here. If on your way out you want to stop by the Connection Center, we can answer any questions you have and tell, uh, tell you a little bit more about who we are and why we're here. If you're interested in our Go Guatemala trips, we are having an info meeting after the service today so that you can get an overview of what's happening, um, learn a little bit more about our partnership and who, uh, where we work in Guatemala. Um, and if you have any medical experience, we have a special component um, to our second trip, so feel free to, to stop by and check that out. Um, that's going to, again, be after service, so grab your kids, and um, you're going to go to the teacher's lounge right around the corner um, to the left. Applications are available online, and they're due February 1st. If you are uh, doing starting point, John Manzi has your material in the back, so be sure to check that out after service. I'm super excited to tell our guys about a men's event that is coming up, Winning at Work. And uh, that will be this Friday, January 29th at Palm Coast Community Church. The event starts at 4.30, and you're going to have some dinner, hang out. It'll be a really fun time with the speakers starting at 7. So if you get off work and you won't be able to get there right at 4.30, still come and experience. They're going to have some really great dynamic speakers. Um, you can sign up online, and if you have any questions, uh, check out the table in the back. David would be happy to answer any questions that you have. 
Our summer camp for our students in 6th through 12th grade is happening June 13th through the 17th. If you have a student or if you are a student and you want more information, come to an info meeting on January 25th. Uh, sorry, January 31st, that's next Sunday, after the second service in our pipeline area, and we'll get you some information there. Speaking of kids, if you are new with us, we just want to make sure that you're aware of our amazing kids' environments. My husband and I have two small guys, little guys, and the thing that warms my heart is every Sunday they are excited to come to church and excited to learn about Jesus. So if you have little ones and you haven't checked out our kids' environments, I encourage you to do that. We have environments from birth all the way through fifth grade for both services. And then during second service, we have an environment for our middle school students, sixth through eighth grade, called Pipeline. So check all of those out. If you do keep your kids during service, we understand sometimes they get wiggly and fussy and need some space because they're kids and they're not made for adult environments. So we've created a family zone, which means that you can still hear the message and participate in that um, without feeling a little unsure of, of how much noise your kid is making. So feel free to go around the curtain to um, the, the uh, teacher's lounge. It's marked. You can see where it is and uh, continue to enjoy the message that way. We love to serve at Epic and make a difference in our community, and we have a great event coming up on February 13th, our gleaning. And what gleaning is, is that we gather produce that would otherwise go to waste, and we take it to food banks, and they distribute it to families in need throughout our community. It's a great event. It's an awesome opportunity to serve as a family. So if you have young kids and they want to help, this is an opportunity for them. So you can sign up online and get more information there as well. We love to give of our time, talents, and resources at Epic to share the life-changing message with our community of Jesus Christ, with our community. So if you call Epic home and you want to give towards what we're doing, you can uh, do so today with the giving boxes behind each of the seating sections or online at theepicchurch.com. Well, if you were uh, not here last week, um, you missed the information that um, one of the families of our church uh, experienced a very big fire and lost everything. So um, if you've um, been praying for Caprice and Steve Williams, we'd really appreciate your prayers, and so do they. They're still getting settled and trying to work everything out. And as many of you have asked, how can you help? We wanted to share an opportunity with you. If you'd like to help, the best way to help at this particular point is to get gift cards from either Walmart or Target or something um, so that they can pick up things that they need. They lost everything. Um, so if you choose to help and you want to do that, um, you can drop the gift cards off in the giving boxes and we'll make sure that it gets to Stephen Caprice. So thanks so much for being epic. And that's all I have to share. So let's check out this video.